0: This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. One time shot, score! Johnny Gordon buzzes across the ball and he's in alone! Hold, shoot, score! The center point shot, score! Yes. A score! Kalorn on the rebound! advice, here's a breakaway braided point! Point and alone! Score! Rebound, Kalorn, score! Boots drop, score!
1: That call never gets old. It's like Dave at the end says, 7-1. Take that, Boston. Yeah. No game today. Of course, there was no games yesterday, as you are probably made aware. The NHL postponed their four Stanley Cup games scheduled for Thursday and Friday, which would obviously be today, with the Lightning playing the Bruins, and The NHL came out with a statement, along with the Players Association, said after much discussion, NHL players believe the best course of action would be to take a step back and not play yesterday and today games as scheduled, of course, uh, standing uh, in solidarity with what happened in Wisconsin. So we've seen other leagues do this where they've postponed games, and uh, of course that was... Uh, something that affected the Lightning and Bruins because uh, we felt like we were going to have a game today. But instead, the Lightning and Bruins will play tomorrow at noon. And uh, hockey will be back, ready to go. And we can break down how that's going to affect each team. But let me bring in my partner, Dave Michigan. Steve Versnick is here with you. Glad you're with us. It is a Friday and uh, you never know what you're going to wake up to in the sports world, but here we are. We're in a bubble and uh, playing playoff hockey, but uh, games were postponed the last couple of days, and Dave, it got me thinking with regards to how this affects the Lightning and the Bruins. We always talk about momentum, and is momentum a big thing from game to game? And I always go back to something that Jason Cullimore said is he didn't necessarily believe it was momentum game to game, but he felt like confidence was something that could go from game to game. And if that's the case, you'd like to think that the Lightning still have a ton of confidence after what happened in Game 3. And to further that point about how does the games being postponed affect each team, the first thing that came to my mind was... You know, I felt like Boston was a step slow in game three. And does the extra day give them a little bit more juice for Saturday at noon? I know it's a, an earlier start, so maybe not as much. But I, I it's kind of how I looked at it. Uh, how does it affect each team? With the Lightning, uh, the confidence still should be pretty high. But I'm curious how the Bruins react to having, you know, a few more hours to rest. Yeah, I have a few thoughts about this, Greg, because my initial reaction,
0: surprise, surprise, was very similar to yours, (laughs) that the postponement of the game that was scheduled for tonight, and now we know it's going to be postponed to Saturday at noon, so we're not talking about a, a huge gap between the original scheduled start time and day and the actual scheduled start time and day. But my initial reaction was, to the extent that the Bruins may have been affected by the second half of the back-to-back, and Friday's game would have been the third game in four days. And of course, when we first heard that it was going to be postponed, we didn't know exactly when it would be rescheduled. My initial reaction was kind of like yours, which is maybe this helps the Bruins. But let's circle back to Game 3. I think some of how that game looked was related to the score. So if you go back and watch or listen, and I actually do listen, not 24 hours a day when we're not playing, but you know, if I'm in the car, I will put on Lightning Power Play and hear back a rebroadcast. And sometimes it helps me to remember a game to hear it back. And if you go back and watch or listen to the first half of the first period, that was a fairly evenly played game. And, of course, the Lightning broke it open with the power play goal followed by the Gord goal 15 seconds later. And that that had an impact on how the rest of the game went. But even at the end of the first period, you may recall, Phil and I were talking, Greg, about the Bruins were making a push in the last couple of minutes Of the first period and and at the start of the second, Phil even said, I really hope they don't sit back, meaning the Lightning, like they did near the end of the first. So it's not like the Bruins came out and played with heavy legs throughout the first period and maybe even into the second. But when you start falling behind three, four, five goals, you're going to lose some oomph. So I'm on the fence about this whole notion of heavy legs or one team being more affected than the other by the second half of the back-to-back. I know Cassidy has mentioned it, and he, and you alluded to this, Greg, was probably more outspoken than Coop about the schedule when it came out for the series with the two sets of back-to-backs, and... I believe you maybe even played the clip of Cassidy yeah. talking about that. So he's he said something about it. But I wonder if that game 3 if we if we went back and rewound it and it stayed close if the Bruins would have looked the same way. Like how much of it was the second half of a back-to-back, how much of it was just the way the game unfolded and score effects. So then I kind of I kind of backed off the the notion of, well, this is going to help the Bruins. And, you know, they would have had a day off on Thursday anyway. And they've played good hockey when they've had, like, one day to recover from a game and then go into the next game. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I don't, I don't really know that I, I know what to make of how the Bruins looked for, let's say, the second half of game three. This I do believe, though. It was really important, not only for the Bruins, but for the Lightning, to get Game 3 out of their system. Yeah, I think the answer for the the Bruins, or the question for the Bruins, is an obvious answer. Clearly, they want to get that game out of their system. And Cassidy said post-game, he's like, well, you don't just throw this game in the garbage, because there are some things that happen that we need to learn from, and specifically the Lightning's adjustment on the power play, which we talked about yesterday on the show, is something the Bruins do need to adjust to from their side. But there's not much beneficial for the Bruins out of that 7-1 game. So the more distance they get from it, probably the better. But I think the, true, the same is also true for the Lightning. They, they wanna get that game in their rear view mirror because we know, as much as we can know, game four is not gonna look like game three. So maybe it's good for both teams. To get an extra, not even a full day, but an extra night's sleep, certainly. They're getting Friday night as another, you know, off night, basically, before they come back and play early on Saturday. And I guess that's where I am at this point, as we speak today on Friday, that, you know what, the extra day that both teams are getting out of this maybe can work for both teams, and it's kind of a fresh start here in game four and i i agree with what cully said about confidence the biggest thing the lightning's power play to the extent that that power play got some confidence which it clearly did in game three the extra day shouldn't
1: affect that unit's confidence in my opinion it's a good one and we'll see how that plays out this came from travis on twitter at Bolts radio by the way if you want to react to anything we've had to say so far on the show he said did you see anything to suggest the more seasoned Boston guys are starting to get worn down a bit? The Bolts are making it very tough for them and making them earn every inch a la 2018 Washington.
0: Well, Chara is not 30 anymore. Now, he is in incredible shape. He's not 40 anymore. <laughs> That's true, he's 43. He is still playing at a very high level. But the Bruins, you could just look at his ice time, and I don't have it right in front of me. I'm sorry about that. But in game two, which was the front end of the back-to-back, which went to overtime, he was under 20 minutes. I mean, he was not even close to one of their top-minute defensemen. He's not playing the power play like he did earlier in his career. He's still used on the PK. But they lean on Krug. They lean on McAvoy. I mean, those are the guys who are logging – heavier minutes typically and i think bruce cassidy understood it was a back-to-back which is maybe one reason why chara did not lead their team in ice time in game two and then game three was what it was i mean the Mm -hmm. ice time there is is skewed on both sides because the game got out of hand
1: he played 18 minutes
0: 18 minutes in game two game three game three okay And he was right around that in Game 2, which, of course, went to overtime. Not deep in overtime, but it did go to overtime. So, I'm not not—I'm not buying the notion that, let's take Chara, that he's getting worn down. I think he's at a different point in his career than he was even, you know, four years ago or three years ago. I mean, without seeing them game in game out it's hard for me to to pinpoint exactly but you can look at how he's used and he's not used as regularly as he had been not that long ago the other guy is Bergeron and this is this is an interesting one because Bergeron did not play a lot in game three there weren't a ton of face-offs in game three just the way that game went there weren't as many whistles understanding there were some power plays and the Lightning had six, which is more than they've had in any game before. And there were a lot of goals, so you have face-offs after goals. At least for the Lightning, there were a lot of goals. But Bergeron's number of faceoffs taken was way down. And I thought of the three guys on that top line, Marshan, and and Bergeron, Bergeron was the least dynamic of the three and less dynamic than he normally is. Now, again, was that score effects? Was that the fact that... The Bruins had played the night before. I don't know. I I think you and I talked about this at the start of round-robin play, and you were questioning, like, is Bergeron starting to slow down? And my answer is, I haven't seen that yet. I mean, the guy is still a phenomenal player. He's up for the selkie again. His face-off proficiency is off the charts. Look at the play he made on McDonough in game one. Like, I mean, he still is an elite, elite player. I don't think he had by his standards, the best game three. But that may have been just a one-off. So I guess the 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 premise from Travis, uh, if, if, if that's his feeling, I disagree. If it's a question, I would say I don't think the Bruins are starting to wear down. I, not at this point anyway. I mean, what are we one round and three games in? And I'll, I'll say this. If they are starting to wear down, then they are going to have a hard time winning the Stanley Cup if they're wearing down at this point in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I think what's going to do Boston in is the fact that um, if they do lose this series, it's going to be goaltending and it's going to be lack of depth. Those are two things I don't think are going to go away. I think, as I told you before, it stood out to me through three games. I think Tampa Bay is the better team. doesn't mean they're going to win this series, but you're right. Their line, that first line is dynamic. But if they have any type of dip in their play, I think that's a huge hole for them to climb out of because I don't think still, even after the last couple of years and the different acquisitions that they've made, that they have enough firepower to overcome an off night by that first line. And in some ways, Dave, it makes you appreciate how good that first line is because there is still a lot of pressure for them to produce. And for the most part, they have. And they came within a game of winning the Stanley Cup last year, really, really you know, leaning on that first line. Now they had some other guys that, that did well. And, you know, Coyle we talked about before. And, you know, they feel like Richie's a guy that comes in who's a little heavier. that can provide some offense. and. Crazy. Their fourth
0: line had a really good playoff last
1: year. Now Achari left and went to Florida. But you're right. They still have a good fourth line. They do. And um, it's, it's definitely a more complete team. doesn't mean they're going to, you know, win the Stanley Cup and, and go further than they did last year, which is one more win. I just think the dip is still noticeable when their first line isn't producing compared to, let's say, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, again, I'm going to reiterate, are doing this without Steven Stamkos. And I can't tell you how impressed I am with how Tampa Bay is going about their business. And I'm a little disappointed with the lack of national recognition when it comes to what the Lightning are doing without the fact that Steven Stamkos is in the lineup. Um, I don't know if it's maybe Stamkos in some ways being slighted by the national media. Um, But, you know, I I always feel like when we have these conversations about, you know, best players in the game, best goal scorers in the game, every once in a while Stamkos, I feel like doesn't get the credit he deserves. But this is the equivalent of taking, you know, Marchand out of the lineup or Posternak out of the lineup. And, you know, Tampa Bay, I still feel like is a pretty complete team. Boston, that first line, if they're not producing, I think there is a noticeable dip. Kudos to the first line of the Bruins, but I still think there is a, a pretty big gap between the two teams. Um, Dave, I have a couple of other questions from some of our fans on Twitter. I want to get to this topic that John had, uh, this question he had that's going to delve into a topic. It deals with Blake Coleman and, and Zach Bogosian. We're going to touch on that in just a little bit. It's not what you think. At least in terms of what they're doing right now. We'll talk about that when we return. At Greg Linelli, At Dave Michigan. At Bolts Radio. It is Power Lunch. Again, no game today. The NHL and the Players Union decided to, along with the other sports leagues, in solidarity. Um, not playing their games yesterday and today. Of course, the Lightning will play tomorrow now at noon for Game 4. And uh, this is all in solidarity with social justice and what happened in Wisconsin with uh, a police shooting. We'll talk more about Blake Coleman and Zach Bogosian, amongst other things, when we return. It is the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.
0: This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app.
1: Dave, how many times have you called a game where you've just had a a raging headache. Has that ever happened? I'm sure it's happened.
0: Well, not that I can recall. And and, uh, look, I mean, like my wife gets migraines and those will knock you out. Uh And, you know, thankfully there is medicine for it, but she usually has to sleep it off. Knock on wood, I've never really had anything like that. Uh, So I don't remember headaches. I have, and I understand that We are a family show, so I'll keep this as family-related. Keep it it PG-13 at least, Dave. I have had a few games, and it's been a long time, where intestinal woes have uh, arisen. And there's not much you can do when that happens. Dave, can you get
1: into detail on that? No.
0: (laughs) That's about as much detail as I will provide. But, you know, you Um, are in the press box, and you uh, have to call the game. And, you know, when your stomach doesn't feel well... It's not a lot of fun. No, uh, but thankfully those those have been very infrequent.
1: Well, let's not forget, there's not many bathrooms in the press box either. Oh. If they're full, true. <laughs> you know, I and actually, I'm is- talking.
0: These are my minor league days. <laughs> oh, so, <okay. laughs> you know, the the frequency, uh, not the frequency, the 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 number of facilities available to you in these minor league rinks. It's much lower than than in NHL
1: arenas too. That would be but. brutal. Yeah, I've got a, ra- I've had a raging. I want to say raging. It might be a little hyperbolic. In in the last couple of days, I've just had a headache, and it just is. It's just more annoying than anything. But it's just every little thing just can can annoy you. However, you're not annoying me right now with our show. So that's well, that's the good thing. That's that's what's been my medicine. I would not
0: have known that you have been very much on your game as we've done these shows the last couple of days. With, if I was playing hockey right
1: now, they would say, um, you know, right now, Greg has an upper body injury. That's all. <laughs> yeah. But he'll be ready to go. He'll be ready to go. Um, so I I got this question. This actually came in after our show yesterday. I thought it was a good one and It speaks to kind of the realities of a salary cap era and the decisions the teams were going to make. Dave, I don't want to speculate on what they're going to do, but I I think it's interesting, the question that John posed. And he asks, so do you think the Bolts are going to extend the likes of Bogo and Coleman? Now, one, I think it's a compliment to those two guys that I think that's why the question was asked. A lot of people feel like these two guys have been revelations in the playoffs. You know, particularly Bogosian, who has been really, really good. And I told him we were going to address this on the show. But I'm curious. Uh, Long term, I think we all know the Lightning are going to have some decisions to make contractually. I mean, the players have admitted that. Then you factor in an expansion team that's coming in. You're going to you're going to be losing some players, and this isn't going to be the same team. In the next year or two. I think we know that. But I do think, what, Coleman is signed through next yes. year, too. Yes, he is. And Bogosian, I believe, is a free agent. Yes. Um, and I, I simply, my thought is, John, on this, and Dave, I want to get your thoughts on it. I think part of bringing in Coleman and giving up what they gave up to get him was the fact that they'd get him for one more year. Does that mean they're going to sign him beyond next year? I, I think that depends on the personnel and who they let go, and who they trade. My gut tells me, though, if both of those guys want to be in Tampa Bay, you're going to have to probably talk about taking a little bit less to do it, because they have some other contracts they're going to have to take. Again, I don't, I don't want to get too into the weeds with the salary cap, but it's my first, my first reaction to that question, John, would be, I think it's going to be a challenge, which is one of the reasons why I think Julian Breezewa gave up what he gave up was the fact that Coleman had another year left on his contract. And that might be as much as you get out of that deal. But I think it also depends, Dave, on what they do in the offseason, which will be a very big off season whenever that happens.
0: Yes. There are a lot of unknowns in the immediate future and even beyond this summer but one of them that is not unknown is the fact that coleman is under contract for next year and the same is true for barkley goodrow which you are absolutely right the fact that they had term left on their contracts was a big part of why julian breeze bought not not so much made the deal because i think he wanted both players but the 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 price was a hefty one. It was a first-round pick for Coleman. It was a first-round pick for Goodrow. So it was not only getting those players, and we've seen the impact that those guys have had, and I'll get to Bogosian in a second, but for the guys who required first-round picks <laughs> to, to bring them in, I don't think anybody can make an argument that they have not had an impact already in these playoffs. So they have helped the team in the immediate but not only are they under contract for next year both of them have very team friendly contracts in terms of the dollars and the lightning are facing a cap crunch so the fact that they were able to bring in two established nhlers who are locked up for next year at a friendly number was really important So, just big picture. The Lightning have, during this offseason, three restricted free agents kind of at the top of the list that are going to require new contracts. Anthony Sorelli, Mikhail Sergachev, and Eric Chernak. All three are very important members of this team. Now, all three are coming out of their entry-level deals. So, for... We have talked about this, but in case fans listening are not completely clear on on what it means to be a free agent, there are different categories of free agents. So like back in 2016, when Stephen Stamkos was testing the market, ended up re-signing with the Lightning, he was an unrestricted free agent. He had reached the point, number of years in the league, you reach a point where you are a UFA, which means starting under normal years july 1 if you have not re-signed with the team that you are currently with you can shop around you can go to any team we saw that with john tavares when he went to toronto ufa and any team that wants to make you an offer can make you an offer you can choose to accept it not accept it and they give you a week of almost shopping you know before july 1 where teams can talk to you and that's kind of what stamp goes did and helped him make his decision. He went to a couple of other teams and said, you know, I want to stay with the Lightning. So he ended up signing before July 1. But that only comes after there are different metrics, but generally it's seven years in the league and you become a UFA. So what happens before that? Well, when you sign your first contract, it's your entry-level deal. When that deal ends, you are a restricted free agent. Often, your next deal will not take you to seven years. So you have a second contract that when that ends, you are still a restricted free agent. But after the second contract, often you get what's known as arbitration rights, which means that you have some negotiating power. You are still restricted, but you have more clout than when you're coming out of your entry-level deal when you do not have arbitration rights. So if you don't like what the team is offering you, you can file for arbitration, and an independent arbitrator can come in and listen to both sides, and he makes a determination, or she, and then the team can walk away, the player can walk away, or they agree to it. But you're still restricted. (laughs) So what does it mean to be a restricted free agent? What that means is the team that holds your rights can issue you a qualifying offer. It doesn't have to be the offer that you're going to take. It's usually the minimum amount. But that locks you in. So what that means is if another team wants you, they have to come in and and make a bid, offer you a contract as a player. You have to agree to that contract and sign it. And then the team that held your rights has X amount of days to just match it. (laughs) And then they get you. So the team that swooped in with the, the new offer may not even get the player, which is why you don't see these types of offers. Sebastian Ajo got one from Montreal last summer as a restricted free agent. Carolina just matched the offer, so Carolina got to keep the player. If the, the team that holds the player's rights chooses not to keep the player, then the team that gets the player has to pay the other team, depending on how valuable the contract is, in draft picks, so it's kind of a it's kind of a pickle for for these types of contracts to come about because if the contract offer is low, then the team that holds the player's rights will just match. Right? If the offer is high, and that's what Montreal tried to do, they tried to to front load the deal so that Carolina would get sticker shock and walk away. But if it's high enough, then you're paying more in draft picks. And to pry somebody like Braden Point away, let's say, a team, and that didn't happen, but had a team made an offer to him and the Lightning said, you know what, we can't match it. You know, for somebody as valuable as Braden Point, you might be looking at four first round draft picks. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to give up for a restricted free agent. So in other words, it's, it's, it's something you don't see very often. But the fact remains for Sorelli, Sergachev, and Chernak, who are all out of their entry-level deals, so they don't have arbitration rights, but they do need new contracts. So the Lightning have to find a way to make that work. And so the fact that they can get Coleman and Goodrow locked in and locked up for one more year at a team-friendly number is really important when you factor in these three RFAs that are at the top of the list, I would imagine, for Julian Breezebub. Now, the other wild card here, Greg, is we don't know what the pandemic is going to do to the market. I think a lot of people feel that it's going to be a tough offseason for UFAs because teams have not had revenue coming in since March. I understand the TV revenue from, from the playoffs now, but you know what I mean? There's no fans in the stands sure. buying tickets. So does that mean, and and off the top of my head, I I can't even think of who the marquee UFA would be, but let's take Robin Leonard, for example, because I know he's a UFA. Robin Leonard may say, you know what, I'm having a great playoff with Vegas. I'm a UFA. I can build off this great performance that I'm having. I'm going to get Vasilevsky-type money, (laughs) but maybe not. Maybe the market doesn't yield that because teams, not that they don't have the cap room, although the cap is staying flat, but teams may not be willing to spend that kind of money on a UFA. RFAs are different because I don't know if it's going to be affected by the market because it's this different dynamic where usually the team that holds the players' rights is really the only team. It's one team negotiating with one player. And so maybe the player will say, well, you know what? I deserve uh, this percentage raise. And the team might say, well, we don't have the money for that. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in this very unusual time as it relates to restricted free agents. But we do know this. Sorelli, Sergachev, and Chernak are going to get raises. They have earned that. They are coming out of their entry-level deal. They will be getting more money, and the lighting have to find room to get those players signed so going back to Bogosian you know it, it would be great to have Bogosian re signed but I just don't know how the picture is going to be filled with all of these other moving parts that the Lightning have to worry about which is why it was really important for them that they know they have Coleman and Goodrow locked up for next year that's a really long-winded answer, <laughs> but no, I'm
1: I'm glad. I'm but glad I mean, you I think that it. It, I mean it's
0: we've talked about it, and that's why this is this is going to be a challenging off season, made more challenging by the fact that the cap stayed flat because originally it was looking like it was going to go up, even three four million dollars, which is not a huge increase under a right. normal season. That would give the Lightning and some other teams a little bit more wriggle room with which to work. Now they don't have that because the number is staying exactly where it was last year.
1: Carter Verhage is also a restricted free agent. I think right. Matthew Joseph is also a restricted free agent. And, you know, we talked about Sergachev, as you said, and Chernak. So those, and those are some really, yeah, and Sorelli. So those are all interesting cases. I agree with you. I think the big three that we talked about there, are Sorelli, Sergachev, and Chernak, I think they're going to get paid. I think this, the question becomes, do they you know, try and sign them to long term deals. Do they do, you know, bridge deals like we've seen before, maybe with Braden Point and even Nikita Kutroff before he signed his big one? Uh, I, the, the funny thing is, the one guy that kind of gets lost in this and he's going to be a UFA is is Jan Ruta. And I only bring up Jan Ruta's because A, we haven't heard much about him. B, he was playing well before he got hurt. Yeah. And C, if Bogosian has priced himself out of the market, Ruta, because he hasn't played much right now, because he's been injured might be an affordable plan B. And boy, that plan B, four months ago, Dave, was plan A, playing with Victor Hedman. So that may actually work out if Bogosian decides to move on. I mean, I think there is something to be said for this, and I've seen it in sports, Dave. I think you have to. I don't have any analytical data, but I certainly have seen it with my own eyes. The players on a one-year deal or a show-me contract— sometimes have uh, better years than when they sign that nice five, six-year deal worth $18 million. I do not think it is a coincidence, amongst other things, but not the biggest thing. I don't think it's a coincidence that you are seeing guys like a Kevin Shattenkirk and a Zach Bogosian have very good years. For Kevin Shattenkirk, it was a show-me year. It was a yeah. bounce-back year. And I think he needed to prove to people. Dave, two, three years ago, he was the guy at the trade deadline with the Washington Capitals. I mean, he was the best offensive defenseman on the market. He goes to New York for a lot of different reasons. It didn't work out. And he ends up signing with Tampa Bay. They get him at at a really decent deal. But I don't think anybody anticipates Kevin Shattenkirk being with the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, for the next four or five years, and I, I think it's okay to think that. Uh, this is a guy that not too long ago was, um, again, arguably one of the top offensive defensemen in the game today. I think he's looking at and saying, I, I got one more big contract left in me, and I don't know if it's necessarily with the Lightning, but you know what? I'm going to play my butt off for them, and if I end up winning a cup because of it, boy, that's, that only helps me and my negotiations yes. moving forward. And I, I think that's a positive. But what I'm saying is, I think Bogosian and Shattenkirk, it's a little bit of a show-me year. I think they're both young enough where they want another big contract if they can. And look, for Bogosian, too, he might have looked at this and said, I, I found the fountain of youth. I'm healthy. I'm motivated. I'm playing on a really good team. I'm not really the guy. Boy, this sets me up. If I, if I play well... Maybe I get myself a decent contract and, you know, then I can go back to being the guy for another team because I'm finally healthy and feeling pretty good. I I don't know if that what his mindset is. I'm I'm reading into that, but I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me if both of those guys weren't here next year. And the Lightning had a guy like Jan Ruta who could slide in. You still have Braden Coburn. And, you know, whatever you have coming through your system at that point as well, this is where player development, as I said to John, this is where player development really comes up big because you need to find ways to replenish players who you like, but can't afford to keep because of the salary cap. Well,
0: you're right. So the other factor is, and let's take Shattenkirk and Bagosian. They may say, I want to cash in. They may also say, I love it here with the lightning and I want to find a way to make it work and stay if it's possible. And that the possible part goes back to the Lightning's pickle with you know getting these other pieces fit in the puzzle and and getting these these players new contracts the ones right. that we talked about a second ago or a minute ago. The other part for Shattenkirk is he's getting buyout money from the Rangers, yes. so he had two years left on his deal with the Rangers that contract that you referenced after the twenty seventeen season 2016-17 season he signed a four-year deal with the Rangers he only played two years with them so when they bought him out he gets four years worth of money from the Rangers he doesn't get all of it but it's it's two-thirds the amount of the contract spread over double the term so he's getting one-third the amount of what was left on the contract for each of the next four years this is just year one so he's got money coming from the Rangers no matter what he does for the next three seasons, which would, and did this year, supplement his bottom line and is not factored in in his cap hit for the team that, that signs him. But certainly it, it makes him recognize that you know he doesn't have to sign as much because he's getting money from the Rangers. Bogosian signed basically a bargain basement free agent deal after after leaving the sabers for the rest of the season and who knows i mean he may say i love it with the lightning and i'm willing to to take a contract that they can make work but we just don't know the answers to that and then the other part is which you kind of touched on when you mentioned ruda and prospects you got cal foot yeah so cal foot is a number one pick he is still in his entry level deal so what you paid cal foot This year and last year, although you paid him his AHL money, not his NHL money, but he is on an entry-level deal. So relative to other players, it's going to be, certainly not more, (laughs) equal or less. Next year is year three of his entry-level deal. So you know what you would be paying Kyle Foote. And at some point, you know (laughs) – whether it's performance-based or just expectation-based, whatever, he's a first-round pick. He's in your system. You brought him up to, to participate in round three. He played in the scrimmages, the blue-white scrimmages. He is a top prospect for you and one that you could slot in as a right-handed defenseman, which both Bogosian and Shattenkirk are, at less money. Yeah. But that's that's a question for Julian Breezeboat and he, and he has to figure out how he wants to construct his team.
1: Steve, let's but, get Julian on right now. I want to ask him <laughs> that question. No, <laughs>
0: but but your general premise is right that at some point you need to let players on your team go and replace them with players you have drafted and developed because they are younger and maybe more inexperienced, but they're also cheaper cuz they're earlier in their contract trajectory, right? Right. If they're not in their entry level deal, maybe they're in their, their second contract, which is still less than paying top dollar for a UFA or renewing a guy who is, who is due a substantial raise.
1: Yeah. And this is, you know, why foot is held in such high regard within the, the organization. One, there's a lot of potential there for sure, but two you also understand that that's a position that's not as deep as your forward positions. And you have guys who, like the Mitchell Stevens and the Carter Verhageys that you can plug. And, you know, Cedric Paquette was that guy a few years ago. You have Matthew Joseph, Volkoff, you know, Barry Boulay. I mean, you have a lot of options there. You know, on the back end, Dave, you don't have a ton, which may speak more to the, the point of keeping a guy like Bogosian if you can because you feel like you're a little thin. Now, they still have Coburn. You know, for another year, and boy, at a team friendly number as well. At a very team friendly number, and you know, uh, guys played some good hockey for this team, and that is a nice security blanket to have. If things hit the fan and you find yourselves, you know, looking to plug a hole if somebody gets injured, you know, a guy like Coburn and to a lesser extent Shen, um, are nice guys to have. Although with Shen, you get the sense, Dave, that. As Brian said the other day on on the last call, just a tremendous penalty killer. The penalty killer was made for Luke Shen. I mean, you're in tight spaces, you can be physical. Yeah. But this game is built on speed, and the way the Lightning play, I, I think that contract is what it is. It was a nice, it was a nice depth move, but unless he's coming back on another team-friendly deal, I don't I don't see that happening uh, moving forward. But again, we don't know what the salary cap is going to look like, and um, some of that plays out. But getting back to foot, I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why when Tampa Bay is has been talked about making trades, Dave, or executing trades, I'm sure teams have acquired about Calfoot, or inquired I should say. But that's gonna be a, a tougher move for the Lightning to part ways with because of A, the talent and B there's just not as much depth. As there is at the forward position in the organization which is why i think foot is held in such high regard and
0: i, I we can close the chapter on yeah. on this and maybe get back to it when, when hockey on the ice is over and, and we can really look at what's happening in terms of the free agent market and how teams are handling the flat cap but kind of beyond this summer which we knew was going to be tough last summer or i shouldn't even say this summer, because this summer is nearing an end, but you know what I mean, the off season. Last summer was tough, too, because the Lightning needed to find a way to get Braden Point locked up, which they did with a bridge deal. And again, a bridge deal simply means when you're coming out of the entry-level deal, it's a bridge that is not going to take you to UFA status. So you're getting that second contract, that will last only not as many years. So the next contract, the, the player is still restricted. And Kucherov had one of those. Um, Point had one of those, certainly. Hedman and, and Stamkos had five-year deals for their second deal. So they did end up going into UFA status, which is why Stamkos in 2016 – you know, had the opportunity to to look elsewhere. Hedman decided he just was going to resign. I mean, you can resign up to a year before your the last year of your contract, and so right after Go signed, Hedman was due to expire his contract the following summer. Mm-hmm. He just inked an extension, which you're allowed to do. I mean, you can sign with the team that that you're currently on as of you know one year before your contract sure. ends. But what I'm getting at is. After this summer, while it's still not going to be easy for the Lightning because they want to remain an elite team and they still need to draft and develop and and have a, a really good roster, you look at the the main COG players on this team and most of them are going to be locked up. Kucherov is locked up. McDonough is locked up. Hedman's locked up. Vasilevsky's locked up. Stamko's locked up. Point's bridge deal, he's in year one. So this summer is going to be tough, but the following summer, you still have Point under contract, right? And so you have another year until you have to worry about getting him his next contract. And really then you're talking about you know some of the more depth guys, whether it's a Verhage, who's like you mentioned on RFA this year, or, or Matthew Joseph, or Cedric Paquette, Maroon is also a UFA after this year, but these guys are not going to affect the bottom line of your cap as much because I mean without stating the obvious, you know those guys are signing contracts usually for under 2 million dollars per year whereas some of the other guys are looking at, you know, much more than that. So if the Lightning can get through this summer and figure out a way to navigate it, then I think or not summer, off-season, summer off-season of 2021 They will not have as many pressing concerns of guys to get re-signed. And they will also lose a player to Seattle, which, I mean, you hate to lose a player. Every team is going to lose a player. But from the standpoint that that player, you figure, will be pulling in some salary, that will give you a little bit of relief in terms of that player leaving your organization in the expansion draft.
1: It's a good point. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. We got some people concerned about the Lightning start to games, especially in afternoon games. We'll talk about that. A couple of tweets coming in, Dave. I want to break that down with you when we return at Bolts Radio, at Greg Linelli, at Dave Michigan. Again, no game today, folks. If you just woke up and, well, if you don't have a computer or you don't have a phone, um, I don't know how you're listening to the show if you don't have either one of those, but maybe you found a way to do that, and uh, there is no game today. It'll be tomorrow at noon. All the festivities will happen uh, beforehand with a pregame at 1130. Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios with the pregame skate show, and that'll be at 11 o'clock, and you can hear that on News Radio WFLA and Lightning Power Play. But back to wrap things up here on a Friday. It's the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The perfect
0: social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app.
1: So I, we told you at the beginning that the Lightning will playing on Saturday, tomorrow at noon. And that is game four. And the schedule is out for those of you curious. And Dave and I are going to touch on that in just a second here. The Lightning will also play Monday, which is the 31st. That's at 7 o'clock. And then Wednesday and Thursday, if need be, obviously to be determined is the time, but there's a back-to-back scenario possibly happening there Wednesday and Thursday. Again, the Lightning are up 2-1 in this best of seven. They play tomorrow, a little after 12. Dave, anything else stick out at you when it comes to the schedule? It seems like Vegas and Vancouver um, got stuck with some tough scheduling, possibly. Yeah, so remember we were kicking around the schedule when it first
0: came out for round two, and both Eastern series had not one but two sets of back-to-back games. And the Lightning already had one of those back-to-backs, as we talked about, between games two and three. And the other was going to be between six and seven if the series goes seven games. The teams will be playing the second half of a back-to-back in game seven. And basically what they did in the, in the Lightning Boston series They just pushed everything back one day. Now, the time has changed, like Saturday noon instead of Friday at 7.30. Originally, game five was supposed to be Sunday at 8. Now, it's Monday at 7. And then the back-to-backs, six and seven, were supposed to be Tuesday, Wednesday. Now, it's Wednesday, Thursday. So, they basically just pushed everything back one day. But we were wondering, like, why did the East teams get the two back-to-backs, and we touched on Cassidy talking about that, mm-hmm. <laughs> in Coop too, before the series began. And we never really got an official explanation. My, my guess, and I guess it was the wrong guess based on how this new schedule looks, was that because the two Eastern winners are gonna have to relocate to Edmonton, maybe they wanted the Eastern series to be done more quickly That was a guess on my part because those two teams, the teams that win the two Eastern Series, do have to get to Edmonton before the conference finals begin. But you look at the new schedule. So, Philly and the Islanders, like the Lightning and Bruins, had two sets of back to backs. They played their game two on Wednesday, and they were supposed to play game three on Thursday. That was going to be their first set of back-to-backs. And then they were going to have a game six and game seven as a back-to-back. But the days after the Lightning were going to have a six and seven back-to-back. So originally they were scheduled, Flyers Islanders, to play a back-to-back game six, Wednesday, game seven, Thursday. And then at the very latest, the Eastern second-round series would be over by Thursday, September 3rd. And then you could get those teams to Edmonton, the two winners for the conference finals. But looking at the new schedule, the Flyers and Islanders lost a back to back. So they now do have a back to back Saturday, Sunday, but that's their only back to back in the series. And the other three games are all, you know, two days apart. Tuesday,
1: Thursday, Saturday. Well, Dave, if they would have put two back-to-backs, they would have had five games in seven days. So maybe that's that's it. That's why they couldn't do the back-to-back. But, Steve, look at
0: Vegas and Vancouver. Uh, They have two – that's the point. They have two back-to-backs.
1: Yeah, they do have – you're right. They have five and seven. That is
0: weird. So they're making Vegas and Vancouver, who had one back-to-back, now they get an extra back-to-back. Now, those teams will be motivated probably to finish that series, but, I mean, you can do the math, Steve. What, Saturday to Friday is seven days. So Vegas-Vancouver play back-to-back Saturday-Sunday, games three and four, and then Tuesday, Thursday, Friday for five, six, and seven. Colorado-Dallas still has just one back-to-back, and they play that game four to five. Sunday Monday so I guess what's surprising to me guys is that the Flyers and Islanders lost a back-to-back and Vegas and Vancouver gained a back-to-back and they haven't even had one yet yeah so that is a very condensed schedule for sure and some of it may be like we don't really know what's going on as far as discussions for telecasts and you know when they want the games to be played and and what days that may have factored in but if you're the Flyers and Islanders, Your series schedule got a little less taxing, but it's also curious, like they've only played two games. So they're behind the Lightning and Bruins, at least when we resume play tomorrow and the Lightning and Bruins play the first game. So they will be done with four games
1: before the Islanders and Flyers even play their third game. I want to end with this because uh, Bob always uh, listens and we appreciate his... His listening and uh, participation. He wants to know if he's concerned, Dave, especially with the noon start, Tampa Bay getting off to a slow start, because he feels like that has been one of the things that's been a little bit of an issue for this team.
0: Well, to this point since the restart, the Lightning have played two games at noon. They played their exhibition against Florida at noon, and they played game five against Columbus at noon. So while the Lightning did not have a good game five against Columbus, especially from the mid part of the first and through a really tough second period, the team used the word dreadful. So I will echo that. It was dreadful for the Lightning that second period. The start wasn't dreadful. The start was quite good against Columbus in game five. The Lightning jumped out to a 2-0 lead 10 minutes into the game. They were carrying things. They were the better team at the start then the bottom kind of fell out and I think that that probably had less to do with the start time and more to do with the fact that the Lightning were facing a team that was looking at a two nothing deficit and facing elimination and really pick things up and let's give credit to Columbus for how well the Blue Jackets played in the middle part of that game nobody can quibble with the Lightning's exhibition performance against the Panthers and they were dominant in that game so I don't know if we can say past this prologue, like if we can read into these other two 12 o'clock games. At least the Lightning have been through it, so they know the routine. And on the Boston side, the Bruins, I don't know that they play at noon, but they regularly play really early on weekends throughout the season when they have home games. I think Saturdays. Saturdays they play either at noon or at 1 in Boston on a regular basis. And the Bruins have had one, we'll call it, early start it was even earlier than noon and that was their game one against Carolina after the Lightning and Blue Jackets went five overtimes deep in their game one remember the NHL pushed the Boston Carolina game which was scheduled for that night to the next day but they had two other games to get in also that day in Toronto so the Bruins and Hurricanes played at 11 a.m. for their game one and the Bruins were very good in that game they won in double overtime but they were They were, in my opinion, clearly the better team. So this is familiar ground for the Bruins, less so for the Lightning. But the Lightning have had a couple of cracks at the early start in games already since the restart. And I I don't think the start of the game has been poor for the Lightning in either of those contests. So I don't know what we're going to see tomorrow. But I don't know that you can look and say the Lightning started badly because they played at noon in the two games they've had at noon. So that's fair.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I would look at it like this: I think both teams have reasons to come out hard. Boston trailing in the series, Tampa Bay understanding they have a chance to go up three-one, and if they do that, uh, they've got to feel really good about you know where they're headed and you know how good uh, this will look for them in this series. All right, it was a little bit of a, a different show today because we thought we had hockey. We didn't. We'll have it tomorrow, and you can listen to all of the action really starting at 11 o'clock right here on Lightning Power Play. Dave, great stuff. We'll do it tomorrow at noon. Yep, talk to you at noon, Greg. Thank you. Should, should be a lot of fun. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. Thanks to Steve Versnick as well. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. You've been listening to another edition of Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.